Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am Kenneth. And tonight we are looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode. Frozen number seven. Not Frozen number seven. Episode number seven. Frozen. Dr. Devon dreams of white corridors, surgical tables, sinister suited medics, and a young boy, Ryan, strapped to the table. As he calls out to the boy, everyone turns and laughs at him with slightly pointy teeth. He awakes in the waiting room of a facility with white corridors, surgical tables, sinister, sinister suited medics, where his son Ryan is indeed strapped to a surgical table. He is told that he will not be given access to the facility, which he deems not surprising, and that he is banned from all their facilities. Please sign these papers and leave. He agrees. It's all very amicable. However, the facility's HR policies and practices are sadly lacking, for Dr. Devon walks out unescorted and then once out of sight, goes into the restricted areas, murders one of the sinister surgical medics at his son's surgical table, takes the boy, and leaves. Later, on the shuttle, he has a chat with his dead wife, who's standing there. On the Transutopia, Dante and Lucretia have just imprisoned their old friend Etienne for art theft. He's playing it straight this time. That is, he's sexually attracted to Lucretia and is trying to get some alone time with her, if you know what I mean. Lucretia is not interested. The Transutopia picks up a mayday from Devon's stolen shuttle. It's being chased by six raiders. They head to the rescue. While en route, Etienne escapes, looking for alcohol and Lucretia. They rescue the pair, but in minutes the raiders arrive and corner them. They want the boy. Dante tries to barter for information about his son, Travis. They consider his offer. Why do they want the boy so much? He sends Lucretia to ask Devin why. She doesn't actually ask him that, but instead hears the story of why they're on the run. Ryan had a congenital brain disorder, one shared with his mother that proved fatal for her. The Orchard financed Devon's work into finding a cure, which apparently worked, but gave the boy the ability, while asleep, to, unknowingly and without direction or intent, cause other people to see images of dead people. Dead people who can only say basically what the living person thinks they would say, so really sort of a third-person projection of their own thoughts. The Orchard wants to use this as a weapon, Somehow, all this information about the organization she and her father works for causes her to forget to ask why the raiders are after the boy, although when we do discover it, it doesn't matter. Now, everyone on the ship starts to see dead people. Lucretia sees her mother. Dante sees his son. Percy sees herself. Mm. This could finally be an interesting wrinkle to Percy's story. Maybe she's dead and all a figment of Dante's twisted, broken mind. Lucretia tries to contact her father, with no success. The raiders don't give Dante any info, and they decide to board the Transutopia. 
The first wave is repelled, but the second wave will be lethal. Everyone on board, the crew, Etienne, Devon, and Ryan prepare to fight back, when suddenly Ryan walks out and gives himself up to the raiders. Despite their ferocious track record and Dante's certainty that the raiders will destroy them all once they have the boy, they apparently don't because we never see them again. Also, it wasn't Ryan, it was apparently an illusion he manifested. Etienne, it seems, is an orchard courier and was there to deliver a new communicator to Lucretia because it was feared her old one was compromised. So she lets him go, I think. But he must agree to report back that the boy escaped. Dante takes Devon and Ryan to Titan. Also, Lucretia has something important to tell Dante, but he doesn't want to listen. The end. All right. Frozen, seventh episode. Uh, what did you think of this episode? This is the earliest episode at which um, the Chekhovian guns the writers had been tossing up on the walls are, are have begun to come together. But it was still sort of incoherent, right? I mean, that's what I found it. Badly edited, poorly directed, I mean, we could have dropped Percy and Etienne out of this story completely, and they would have made no difference at all, apart from the bit about the communicator, and even that really doesn't seem to amount to anything. It's just a, a way to get him on board the ship. Um, I, I, I don't know. I. But Etienne does provide the comic relief, doesn't he? Well, I wouldn't call it funny. Um I mean, I, I I get that he's supposed to be providing the comic relief, but, you know, sometimes comedians fall flat and I would tell him not to give up his day job. Let, let's put it that way. Oh. Um, well, you will, I, we will not see him again. I'll put it that way. Oh, well, that's that's something. Well, why would we see him again? She lets him go into the shuttle bay and she says, well, we'll drop you off at Ganymede, but she puts him in the shuttle bay and they don't have a spare shuttle, so I assume he just died. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like it didn't kind of make sense at the end. That's why I couldn't. I mean, I get that, that the dialogue was absolutely, you know, I'll point my gun at your head. You're going to tell the orchard that the boy got away and we're going to let you off at Ganymede. And then he walks out the shuttle bay, even though I don't think they're at Ganymede. And then, first off, how, how does she square that with? With Dante. I mean, isn't he working for... Um, Rodolfo. Uh, Rodolfo, and they're supposed to take the guy in, and he would surely have to fly him intentionally to Ganymede to let him off, if if indeed that was what was going on there. I, I don't know. I, 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 I Again, I, I feel like... When I watch this, I feel like I'm watching the 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 airline in-flight movie version of a movie where they've decided that a two-hour movie needs to run in in 60 minutes, and and I know that may be a result of the 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 reduxing of the story. You know, there are there are just scenes where one leads to the next, and it f feels like it's not supposed to be there. Okay, in that, um, that point, first, you know? Yeah, first point. Um, you, you may, I think you may be onto something about some missing scenes. Um, point number two, it's not about the reduxing. 
Um, I was, um, when I sat down to watch this again for the umpteenth time this, this afternoon, I started with the uh, Redux version on Amazon Prime. And then I noticed it was stalling. So I guess that with COVID-19 and so many people streaming so much that it's, it's slowing down. Yeah, internet is is right. hurting yeah. right now. So I just I skipped, I hopped and skipped and jumped through it on the little bar at the bottom, and then um, and just checked the end, and then I pulled the disc. I pulled out the DVD of the unedited of the original version, mm-hmm. and watched that again, because there it, there are just a few nips and tucks and a few visual effects differences and. That's how we get from version one to the read to the to the Redux version, and the um, narrative problems you just pointed out exist in the original version. Interesting. Okay. You know, it, it it's hard to point it. Um, it gives them an excuse when you're watching the Redux version. Go, oh, I'm, I probably. It, it's like the it's like the scene, and I and I did call it out partially, but I didn't really lock into it. It's like, uh. Dante tells Lucretia to go find out why the Raiders are after this boy, which is a very good question. I mean, I, I don't care what's wrong with the boy. I don't care anything about his history or why they're on the run or anything like that. I can understand why you would walk in the room and get into that conversation. But the important thing is, why the heck have you got six Raiders on your tail for one boy? And Lucretia doesn't get that information. Uh, but she is disturbed by what she hears because it turns out it's the orchard and she walks off and then has an imaginary encounter with her mother. Literally, the next thing we see, Devin shows up on the bridge. He's left his son behind. He walks into Dante and, and then that's when they convey that piece of information. And it just, it feels clunky. It doesn't feel like the thing Devin would do is to just, oh, Lucretia left. I guess I'll go talk to the captain now or anything like that. It's just... It's just awkward, and I don't know what would happen in the interim, but there are just places in this story where we just go from one scene to the next, and suddenly... There's another one where, um... Ah, I think they're down in the... They're down in the hold with Etienne, and then suddenly they're all in the... Etienne and them are are in the... And Percy are in the uh, shuttle bay entryway ready to fight it just there's just like no no space between them there's no indicate and i mean i suppose we don't need to see some scene where they all decide well you know maybe we ought to go fight because we're gonna die but at the same time because there is the way it's edited it just feels like scenes chucked illogically one after the other not that they're chronologically wrong it's just that they're sort of disjointedly wrong. Um, just a couple of cases that 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 cross my mind. Um, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to sit here and 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 rack on that. These these seem to be intrinsic problems that we've had all along in the show. But you're right. This is the first time we've begun to see something else that the orchard has done. We're given we're given the explicit statement that they're evil. Well, in this in, one. In Dr. David's terms, the bastards. Yeah. yeah. I think he uses the word evil as well. He, he, yes. He, they want to use it as a weapon. So, and both uh, Lucretia and Etienne use 
a phrase and I did not write it down and I can't remember. Was it something like a counter project? Something like that. Yes, I am. Um... I think counter was the word. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what do we do about this counter project or, or something of that of that nature? And the only thing I can think of is that, that, that this is a defensive project against a counter against the divinity cluster. But that's, uh, that is a reason that, that is a reasonable assumption. Assuming that the orchard is all about the divinity cluster and not some big evil space mafia, you know, which, which is not clear at this point. What's also not clear is how the heck is this a weapon? How, how would they, how would they, how, how would they look at a guy who's like, look, my son's got this congenital brain disorder and I'd like to try to fix it. And, and they're thinking, hmm, we might be able to use this as a weapon and it's enough for them to finance it unless they also do good things. And when the results of the good things turn out to have some unexpected benefit, they suddenly turn them evil. And, and that, is the question that comes up out of this is because this seems to be remarkably, I want to say throughout most of the episode, this seems like remarkably useless power at the end when the boy walks out and leaves and turns out he didn't leave. I assume that he did that on purpose. He did. And the Raiders went off and chased the um, imaginary shuttle. Is that what they were doing? Was chasing yeah. the shuttle? I thought yeah. that he just got in the shuttle and flew no. back to him. No, because he it wasn't. Um, he made it look as if he left, so they went. The Raiders went and followed the imaginary shuttle. But they still didn't blow up the the Trans Utopia, which seems to be standard procedure for the Raiders. They were so they were more they're more interested in the boy, whom they thought was on the shuttle, which didn't exist as it turned out. Another question would be, <clears throat> okay, if the shuttle didn't exist. Okay. All right. All right. That's um, okay. If the shuttle didn't exist, then that was the Raiders shuttle, which I thought it was the Raiders shuttle. The Raiders had only brought one shuttle. Therefore, they still had that shuttle, which could be what Etienne left on. Well, there was shuttlecraft have come and gone. And there was like, you know, the, uh, the problem with trying to um, figure out who owns which shuttle in the series is that it's this everybody seems to be using the same design <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um yeah i just i i thought frankly i thought that an actual shuttle left there i were... thought that the that the illusory illusory boy was somehow flying an actual shuttle so but but you raise a good point it could be the illusory boy flying an illusory shuttle yes and that's that's his power he can create he, he creates illusions Hmm. Well, let's discuss let's discuss his his illusion power. The dad is the dad is seeing his dead wife and the boy's mother. The boy doesn't even seem to recognize him as his father at the no. beginning of the episode. Correct. So somehow he is stimulating illusions in his father's mind. Yes. That without consciously trying to communicate with his father, because he doesn't know him, and and he's causing the father to... Talk to himself. Well, 
Yeah, he's talking right, and and this is this is what I want to get at. But but the two things that happened here is that presumably the boy actually knows his mother. So you could make the argument that that he is projecting an image of his mother. That's interesting but, because somebody that goes, he the mother died in childbirth. That yeah, I did we get that? I mean, it, yes, it caused. He said that the the brain disorder killed the mother, but I didn't. I couldn't tell whether it had killed the mother in childbirth or not. I, I didn't. I didn't get that. I, I see where you're coming from because of the way he phrased it. He said she had a that he had a brain disorder that would prove fatal, as it did to his mother, which I guess could have been at childbirth. But I didn't. I didn't hear him say it was specifically at that point. Well, it could have been here um, also that. Um... That was what the, the death and childbirth came out. I know in the original version could be um, because I was watching because it, it didn't stop and start at odd times because I was playing off a disc. Um, in the I haven't done a scene by scene comparison between the two versions. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that, that's anyway. It, later, so at the point this was happening in the story, that was my thought. It's either. The boy is projecting an image of someone he knows, or he is stimulating something in dad who is projecting an image of someone he knows. It's, it's, now, later on, it's, 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 it's the it's, latter. It, 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 is the, it is the latter because she, as his power reaches out, he doesn't know Luke, but right. Luke sees her mother. mother right. And he doesn't know and Dante. Dante, Dante sees and hears son. his son, though we only hear, we only see him here, son. Um, and um, it reaches out to Percy and she sees herself, which. Brings up another another point. weird, another weird editing moment was Dante is in the storage bay or something or the cells or somewhere. I mean, it's just a it's just a set, and he hears Travis saying "Daddy," <laughs> laughing and running and thing. And then cut to he's on the bridge sulking, and Lucretia comes in and goes, "Oh, you saw something too, didn't you?" And he goes, "I saw my son." It's like you didn't see your son; you heard your son. But okay, so again, I'm looking at that going, did did they remove something? But like another scene where he actually interacted with his son and then went to the bridge, or just it, it, just an odd Now, Percy, yeah, uh, you would think that Percy has got some dead people she could imagine, like her parents. Presumably, she lost them ten years ago in the Raiders raid. She did as well. So. Well, perhaps, perhaps it's not. Actually, it's not so much as um, dead people here. It's just that people, a person on the mind of the person who has the illusion, who has the who has the illusion. Well, that would certainly keep with Percy's um, self-absorption. Yes, it does. Um, which which he admits to. She did. See, I wrote down what she said uh, somewhere in here. You've got a problem. And she says, I'm too selfish and a little bit conceited. Um, which, you know, she's failed to say she is also a master of understatement, which would be the third failing. I'm I'm too selfish and a little bit conceited and massively understate my problems. And it act, did it act as her conscience? That's what it sounds like to me. Did, did, did it act as... Devin's conscience, because there is that scene where the wife is talking to him. And I thought this was an interesting scene where 
you are you are projecting your wife, we now know that, and the wife is turning around and telling you, I'm not actually really here, I'm just what your mind wants to say, so therefore I am just I'm just an echo chamber, basically. Right? Right. Is is that so we could call that your conscience? Yes. Some people would call it your conscience. I don't see it with Lucretia. I, I see it as Lucretia's guilt, maybe? Um, nah, guilt's not the right word. Um, maybe she even just missed her mother. Regret? Yeah. Um, which, which I, I was going to say, that remember that comment on um, the next episode, because it'll come up. Okay. Uh, all right. T for two, not T for three, or three for T. So, I guess I guess Percy has a little self awareness that she's a useless part um, in this grand scheme of things. Um, well, but, at but, this point, yes. Now, I'll say this um, without revealing any details. I'll just give the big picture. Over the run of forty-four episodes in two seasons. Uh, we see Percy change quite a bit. Well, I'm, I would hope so. <laughs> I would, I would hope. I, I really. Uh, I mean, I don't like Dante. I mean, I, I don't. I, he's a waste. But Percy is an active problem in the universe, and she, she just, you know, she complains about things she shouldn't complain about. She, she makes no sense when she is complaining she just she just has been written to be as as awful as they possibly can without actually making her evil you know i mean she she is you know dante asks her to do things please she she tells him things like i hope someday you change change what it just didn't make the sentence didn't even make any sense uh, okay, now let's, let's, let's stay on this. Let's pick up on the pick up on this remark. Um, okay, but by the end of the episode, did you see a change? Any change whatsoever? In Dante? In Percy no. whatsoever? Not, not one that I think will be there at the beginning of the next episode. Yeah. So did you see it toward the end? Toward the end of the episode, um, she's she came out where where it was all very dangerous, and she said she didn't think that she should. Just hang out in her quarters i i she did say that i didn't take that as improved self-awareness i i took that as being i uh, hope she's slightly less useless fighting off the raiders who are going to kill him one way or the other I, I i didn't take it as improvement no and and because she shows up with etienne who you know is and we don't see what causes them the to be together and to decide to come fight. No, I didn't. I didn't take it that way. I, I. I didn't. I didn't see that as anything other than just Percy makes no sense, and so Percy does what Percy does, kind of thing. There is a um, line in one of the second season episodes where Caravaggio says that somehow Percy makes sense to herself. Well, I, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I, I think that I, I think that's true with everyone, right? right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you are making sense. Certainly, people do not talk nonsense in their own mind. 
I think. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a fairly uh, straightforward observation. But, yeah, she doesn't make sense to anybody else. And and I, I'm struggling to see a... I'm struggling to see a relatable character buried under there. And I think that's probably the my biggest complaint is that there just there just isn't anything I can latch on to to say, oh uh, well, I could see how somebody might think that way and and put myself in their shoes. and I and I can't quite do that. Um, Lucretia is the only character on this show where I can kind of get into them. Dante is just, you know, he's he's clearly focused on that whole Travis thing, yes, which is. is fine. Okay, I, I'm fine with that. Uh, we have the scene where where Lucretia kind of chastises him for even considering doing a deal, and he turns on her and said, "I would never turn over anybody to uh, the Raiders." And I I had to sit there for a second and ask myself whether that was a true statement or not. It is. Because he definitely will do things against his own better interests and better judgments when he's in a Travis funk. Uh, As witnessed at the end of the episode, when Lucretia, having just released their prisoner, um, found out that he's a, a courier for her organization, uh, discovers that, you know, her dad's a nasty guy or her organization's a nasty guy, which I'm not sure she knew in advance. Good point. Um, and that they think her communicator is compromised for some reason. And I have absolutely no clue what it is that she wanted to go talk to Dante about. Right? We have to talk. And I would think that Dante should, under those circumstances accept that conversation or at least find out more about what they need to talk about instead of just dismissing it and walking away. He is also pretty much useless as a captain. I mean, he's got some responsibilities. They've just had some uh, uh, serious stuff go down. And yeah, he's all mopey about the, the, the raider telling him, oh, I remembered my mom. They couldn't make me forget my mom. And, and so now, but because, but because they showed it to us, right? I mean, this, this could have been a thing. This didn't have to happen that way in, in the real world. She didn't have to go up to him at that moment when he's hanging around the thing. But she did. She went up to him right away to tell him about this. And that feels like it's important. And he should realize it's important, but he doesn't. Or he doesn't care. And it, 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 it it makes him a, a difficult character to to care about or or relate to. Uh, I I I expect him to still want to stay alive. I expect him to still want to continue to function and to keep going long enough that he can rescue his son. Good point. And not just uh, you know, he's not a man who's quit. He's not a man who's given up. And yet at times he sure acts like it. Yeah. And and. <clears throat> that that is what bugs me about his character most. Actually, the most relatable character is Caravaggio. I take that back. I can see where he's coming from, but um, Lucretia, uh, Lucretia, like I said, she seems like she's got the depth there that we might dig into. But but the others, I don't I don't see it as I don't see it as 
personality things that I need to fit together as a puzzle. I see them as personality things that just don't make any sense because they're badly written. And that, that it may not be true, but that is how they come off to me. Um, Lucretia seems to have a, a, a unified through line on this. I, I And I'll, I'll go out here on the line and speculate that she may have been willing to just then tell Dante about maybe not the orchard per se, but I think she was going to give him a little bit of information. That's my guess. That could have been useful instead of saying, oh, by the way, I let Etienne go because he helped us or whatever cover story she was going to make up for that. So uh, I don't know. Um, it, it just... Yeah, well, I, my my difficulty in uh, responding to you on these um, points is... Uh, would involve spoilers, right? And I understand that. And and I and I, you know, we've had that. I, I don't know whether we've had it on on here or whether we we've had it off offline. Is uh, it is the difference between looking at it um, from uh, an overview, like for example, when I was uh, working with Simon on. Uh, Night Stalker, which is a show I've seen a bazillion times and know them in and out and, and know, you know, the personalities and the people and the characters and what's going to happen. And, and, and he is completely cold at it. I find that he had some very salient points that you don't see because you're looking at it with fondness or you're looking at it with, with, you know, foreknowledge or you're looking at it you know, you can look at the Night Stalker movie and see Tony Vincenzo as a really obnoxious guy, uh, a really terrible, terrible guy. But by the time the end of the series comes up, he's still obnoxious, but at the same time, he's also obnoxious and lovable. And yes. and you project on that. You do. You, you and project back on it. I'll her. say this. And having seen both movies and the entire series, and and which I have on DVD, um, I see your point there. So I have to look at it cold and... And, and it's impossible for you not to look at it cold. So yes. it's a question of of trying to to, to balance that. Uh, say, well, this is what we've been presented. And if you were watching a show, as as I am, and you got to episode seven, and you still found everybody really obnoxious, you know, what gives you that desire to say, hey, I could just be watching The Price is Right instead? Or, or or the time. And sometimes it's uh, reputation, right? This is a famous show. I'm watching something from the 1960s that everybody said was fantastic, but I just never happened to watch it. And you start watching it, and you're like, yeah, I don't know, but everybody says it's fantastic. Star Hunter doesn't have that reputation either. It's, more, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a cult show. Yeah. So... Um, you know we're, we're we're in it, and I, I'm just gonna say that I I can't not call the characters as I see them as we see them in this episode and up to this date. And well, that, of course, that, that's probably it. Uh, and I, you know, I do welcome the fact that we had something about the orchard going on here, and the orchard uh, will when, keep going forward, right? And I I'm sure that it will because it's obviously tied uh, to Lucretia's story. So uh, and she's there for a reason. She's clearly an operative, and and go, but. Um, you know, fr- from the from the the standpoint of the actual door, the plot that we've been provided here about the guy running away and the and the thing, it's it's really just it's kind of I don't know it's it's not a great one. Um, 
it 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 may be a little better than some of the previous ones because it had actually less Percy in it, and it also um, you know did at least tantalize a bit. Whereas any any Chekhovian govs that have been in there before were not pronounced enough to be tantalizing. And if, if that if that makes any sense, it does. Speaking, I mean, yeah, speaking of being tantalizing, and this is the point at which the is the uh, back up and enunciate here. Um, this is the point at which the first season begins to ramp up. Um, and, but it, it really starts here. Okay. Um, it, it, it's... Um... I noticed some uh, um, certain themes and patterns showing up. Here's one. Um, Dr. Devin refers to the orchard as bastards. Dante calls the raiders bastards. And what in this episode, um, both Orchard and the raiders are after the same child, and they are both guilty of kidnapping. Okay. They have overlapping goals, and they have equally bad character. This is also... Um, also, there was a double agent, or there was a raider double agent at the Orchard facility. Yes, that's uh, that's kind of um, interesting, and I think, and weird, um, and I think, if I recall correctly, from the episode on Mars, which had the Raiders in it, Family and also values. Etienne, um, we learned that the Raiders are all sterile, and that's why they're the Raiders. And I think we asked the question, is like, you know, it's been 10 years now. The Raiders have been kidnapping kids. Those kids presumably are not sterile. This is just a lifestyle so, choice now. Yeah. So so pretty soon they're going to start having baby Raiders. And um, it, it's interesting that they used the phrase liberated. What was his liberated date? That makes it sound like a, 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 a holy cause, right? Or, or, or some does. sort of dogmatic rationale behind what what they are doing with the kids it, it is um a little insight into the raider mindset it also makes you think the fact that they have a double agent in there that well why why would they have a double agent in a pediatric research facility that's a, a question so actually no here's what the question is is it that they have a double agent in a pediatric research facility because that's something that the Raiders have eyes on for some reason. Or is it because, or do the Raiders have a double agent in an orchard facility? I mean, I know they're one and the same. It sounds like but which the is second. it they think they're? Well, I, well, I, that's the, well, or perhaps it's both. Okay. All right. It's it's a possibility. I I just wonder what was the what was the first stimulus? It's like we need to get this pediatric research, or we need to get into the orchard and find out what they're up to. I always um, oh, I, I I I interpreted it to mean they were interested in what the orchard was was interested in. Okay, and it's it's possible. And the the only reason that I think it could be the other is simply because there is something about the the raiders that makes them interested in liberating children 
right? I mean, that, yes. that's tied to it and because it was a pediatric research. And they and wanted to liberate Ryan because with that power, if they, if they could harness the power of his illusion. Yeah, they could do something, whether it's topple the orchard or I, I don't know. But it, it, did, it did cause me to wonder um, if, if there is something that we'll learn about the Raiders and this whole liberation thing, because they may be, they may be aware of some bigger picture that they're, they think they're, they're taking care of. But anyway, um, I don't, I mean, I don't have anything else. What else um, I have to say it's, um, I did notice a callback to Siren's song with the reference to the Omega virus. Yeah. I thought that was fun. Um, this is, here's my next note. It's about dates in dialogue. Looping was something that people did not did not do in the transformation process to get to 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 redux. And my theory about it is that actors' voices may have changed uh, sufficiently over fifteen years or more that it was just it's not feasible to do it. Um, but in the um, if you may re- may recall that in the uh, redux version of the first episode. The year given on the screen is 2285. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the original version of the episode, the date on the year is 2275. Right, which fits with him saying that the boy was liberated November 3rd, 2264. Oh, yes. Yeah. So with the addition of a decade on the series, uh, then that should become November the 3rd, 2274. Um, I was, I was thinking about why no one looped that. And uh-huh. then I found a Star Hunter Redux video with Michael Pere in it on YouTube. I mean, hardly, hardly a research that took me a long time to do. And I listened to his voice in whatever, what, what two years ago, whatever, whenever he filmed that. And then I listened to his voice and from this episode, I noticed there was a vocal difference. Well, I mean, his voice sounds different from when he was uh, uh, Tony Villacana yes, on exactly. Greatest American Hero, It's too. aging. It does, it, it does that to vocal cords. I get that. So just but it, the one, uh, for most of the first season, when you hear a year in dialogue, add 10 years. I mean, I, um, I'll, I'll be honest. This is a problem that, that is not bugging me too much i mean i i i get it they put the thing on there and they said 2285 uh in in the opening credits or in the opening scene but you know my guess is frankly this is not about them going oh we can't get michael Paré back here to loop that sound in or anything like that and my guess is is that it's just they didn't care um, or that they didn't think of it or that they made a mistake or they just, or that they did the whole thing. And then they put together that opening scene and said, Oh, we better put some titles on it uh, or some, I, I, I think we're going to put it as plain old ordinary mistake. Not, not we couldn't try because considering how the show is edited together, having him loop one line and sound a little huskier than he does now, just nobody would notice. I, I, or heck, I notice when people I'm gonna say that's not true, people will notice, but I notice when they loop sounds when they've made the film, 
right? I right. mean, it just never quite sounds right. Never is the wrong word for it. When you notice it, it never works. But uh, I, you know, I, he doesn't sound that much different to me. That that it it couldn't be. He's just a little <clears throat> dry at that moment. And needs to grab a water bottle or something. But um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if at any point this is really going to be a, a problem because those dates are all just, you know, kind of made it's up. It's interesting, but in, in but later in the first season, there's an episode where Caravaggio gives the year as 2286. And they reloop that? No. Oh, wait, now, didn't they change Caravaggio out or something? Second season. But but in Redux, they got the, um, people got the original actor back. So uh, um, here is Caravaggio. He cons- was there working, yeah. There is Caravaggio consistency with Redux, but not with the unreduxed versions. So he was work. So they were paying him. So they got him to 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 reloop those. What well, is? I mean, people just reshot those parts with them. They got the actorism. Um, and got, oh, even yeah. in the first season, they redid them. No, no, they just no, reshot in, them? no, no. In the first season, they just carried it over. But the second season, there was a different actor. Uh, playing right. Caravaggio because the our Caravaggio who was Murray Melvin was not available or something or another, but people did find him and um, just altered his visual a little bit, but got him to um, say all the lines. Even they even re- rewrote well, some of the lines. I noticed, but that, they, they would have had to have reshot him. Yes, I mean, people if did. If he's a floating hologram. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but my point being is that they actually hired him and he was on the job doing a whole bunch of recording. So it wouldn't have been a big deal for them to swap out a couple of lines if they thought of it. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. Exactly. But apparently, uh, from according to um, G. Philip Jackson, one of the series creators, the um, there was quite a bit of for both seasons. There was quite a bit of. Uh, interference from from executives um he didn't tell me all the details and i didn't ask but um he did tell me that um the originally the time frame of the first season was always supposed to be 2285 2286 now i i gotta i seriously have to ask i mean because this is that is so (laughs) that is so uh, such a completely and utterly meaningless distinction when you're sitting here in the year 2020 and looking forward and somebody's like, yeah, I wrote this TV show and I wanted it to be year 2285, but the network executives wanted it to be 2275 and ah, oh, they just ruined the whole show. That doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it just literally makes no sense that that would be any kind of network interference unless like somebody at the network was like, Oh, you know, my astrologer does numerology and 2285 is not good for a TV show or, or something. But I mean, why would you be in, and then why would they care enough to, to make that change and go, you know, I always wanted to be 2285 and that's my vision and doggone it. We're going to, we're going to go through this process and fix it. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, okay, maybe maybe now I understand why Percy doesn't make any sense, but but it, well. it just seems like such a trivial thing. I can understand why they, I don't know, I, I can think, there are things I can think of that they would want, like um, the, 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 the saint, the Roger Moore saint, he never kills people. The saint in the books kills people all the time. 
right? right? They couldn't do it. And that was that was the powers that be saying you can't have the hero kill people unless they kill themselves or you know do something to try to kill him and then it's defense and so like you you know those things I get and I can get why when you're writing the story you're like no that's how I wanted my character to be this is the motivation and this is his thoughts and these are his ideas and and sure let's do that but I just can't see somebody standing on a hill fighting for ten years in an imaginary century 200 years in the future it, it just it just seems kind of weird uh, to it's me it's a bit but, odd but there are, are a few detail-oriented people such as me who um obsess about details well um, i mean i can see getting it straight i mean i can see getting it con- <laughs> you know uh, consistent i would be i would be if i were making the show i would be fanatical about making it consistent because you know, those are the gross failings that that nerdy people like me spot. But but to have it be something that they had to fight about just doesn't make any sense. And and it, it just and and it, and then by trying to retro fix it and not doing a very good job of it, because here he says twenty two sixty four, so they obviously didn't do the job right. Then for whatever reason. Then they're introducing stuff for people to sit around and and go, well, you know, I mean, it's 2285 in the opening titles of the the Divinity Cluster, but then he says it was 10 years ago, but it was 2264, so none of this makes any sense. Uh, That I get, but I I don't get that they intentionally did this. They they intentionally created this this mistake somehow in the reduxing process. Um, And I don't know in in season two, maybe, maybe... um, Let's. I'll ask this question. This is a spoilery question that you can answer. Or that okay. you can answer for me. This show was originally set in twenty two seventy five, right? Yes. When 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 you watch Star Hunter, twenty two seventy five and twenty two seventy six. Seventy six. Okay. I know, and I think it's not. I think we've kind of mentioned this, but it's it's not super spoilery that the next season of the show is in fact set in the future. Yes. Uh, further in the future because of a time warp or something. Don't, the original don't name that, of the second se- season was Star Hunter 2300. 2300. So in theory, it's set 25 years after this show. But my guess is that the dialogue in Star Hunter 2300 makes it sound like it was only 15, 15 years in the years in the future. So it was a mistake in Star Hunter 2300 that they're now weirdly trying to fix in the original star hunter yeah okay it's just yeah they like the name 2300 it's like space 1999 it's a great year but don't think about it too hard you know (laughs) like at at some point yeah oh i have have a i have a question here for you um what do you think it mean it means that atn saw luke did he what luke the, the illusions when uh Ryan's power of illusion reached him. He saw Luke. Okay, how about this then? It's um, actually no. That's 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 easy, and and I don't know why I didn't even mention it before or think about it before. It's wishful thinking. It's who you want to see. Ah, there you go. I mean, they, they, Luke wants to see her mom. Uh, Dante wants to see his son. The guy wants Devin wants to see his wife. Percy wants to see more Percy, which kinky um and and look <laughs> and the raiders want to see 
Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. So that, that all consists with wish fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes it sound worse. I wanted to see someone, that's one thing, but to say it's wish fulfillment, that makes Percy sound even worse. <laughs> There's two of me now. Yeah. This ship's doomed. <laughs> <laughs> so if that is the case. So now, um, was I supposed to get from Dial? I Because they make a point of it, I'm going to bring it up. Obviously, in the Martian episode, Etienne is... Family values. Yeah. Family values is gay. Openly. He, openly... Uh, in a in a relationship uh, that sounds like it might even be a, intended to be a long term relationship, in this episode he is extremely pushy about his uh, heterosexual tendencies. And at the end, there's a bit of dialogue. I couldn't quite say whether he was lying the whole time to just to try to get to Lucretia. That's what he says. That's what he said. Is that is that I I got his line of dialogue about being attracted to a friend or something like that. And I'm like, wait, is he saying it was all a lie to get to her? Um, yes. Or he, he, he did say that if... In or was he trying to back out of it and make it seem less awkward? Well, I got... Um, I, um, he was lying all along, except to the end when he, said, when he admitted it. No, he was still gay. Um, and But he did say that if any woman could make him jump ship, it would be Luke. Oh, okay. See, I was because they're standing at the chunky <laughs> I actually was literally taking jump ship to mean uh leave leave his job. No with but... the with the orchard. But no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he meant switch to the other team. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. No, he's still Fair um, fairly um flamboyant. That would explain how how horrifically awful he was at being heterosexual. Yes. Because he was he was really genuinely disgusting. I never um, I never believed it for a minute. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you've seen the show, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, I, just, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, just I mean, just but he only shows up in two episodes. But yeah. But in this this being the second, but in this one, I never believed it for a minute. That's a, he's putting on an act very badly. Uh, yeah, I I. I, you know, I, I could believe he's doing a Captain Jack. Except, you know, in the future, they're except, all omnisexual. Except John Barrowman sells it as omnisexual. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've seen every bit of Torchwood and every Doctor Who with him. So um, I can say, and even the um, five, five-ish Doctors reboot where um, John Barrowman's deep, dark secret is that he's, that he's straight and has a family. Well, um, right, but I, I, I yeah. get that John Barrowman himself is gay, but you know they they explicitly make it out in the Empty Child that he is he'll 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 do anything that moves. Yes, pretty much. Yes, and and so that's kind of how I was taking Etienne when he comes about. It's like, well, we saw him because he had he had met someone he had fallen in love. That was something we d- didn't happen. It wasn't on camera. That was already there. They were already in love, and that's different. Right, you're not playing the field at that point, and then he's grief stricken, and he goes off to to potentially die to save the day, but he doesn't in the end. Okay, I get that. Now we show him up again, and that was the only time Lucretia ever met him. All she ever knows is that he was in a, a homosexual relationship, and now he's like, no, no, I'm anything that moves. I'm Captain Jack, and that's why I I believed him at least at the beginning, um, and. 
you know, at the end, then I was at doubt. But you're right. The jump ship line, I totally missed that. I mean, I heard it, but I totally missed its meaning. And I love the look on uh, Luke's face at that point because she's clearly amused. And for a moment, looked like she was considering it. Um, but uh, <laughs> just just for a moment after Etienne walked out into the shuttle hangar. <laughs> um, yep. Um, let's see. I, my only other note here is the um, the overriding um, theme I picked up on was um, fathers sacrificing for their sons and feeling guilty. And um, this is especially clear in the pre-Redux version where Rudolfo did have an opening transmission where he talked about how his father, who was away for months at a time on work on on a spaceship um sacrificed for um young for our um for the oh for young Rud- rudolfo um we have um guilt-ridden dante who's um obsessing over his inability to protect his son from the raiders we have dr devon feeling guilty about how his attempt to help his son led to making the situation worse and yeah, and obviously we come back again to the theme of the Raiders are after children. Yes, they are surrogate. They're they're desperate, want to be parents. So yes, I also and fathers because I think they're all men. Exactly, and there are well, so far there are female Raiders because they do abduct girls as well. Um, and there um and they um when the episode ended, uh, Ryan and his father were on the way to Titan and what was the um, moon was from which the abduction of Travis happened? Yeah, because it's been it's been raider free for years. Yes, it has. But that was so as true as Mars, and they had razor raiders on Mars. Yeah, <laughs> that very line was used on Mars. So until they showed back up, right when they're. They're after something. Children. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, I, I think we've uh, given this one its due. All um, right. Next. Well, unless you have anything else. Well, just a uh, um, very short notice that the next episode is Past Lives. Um, we will get into um, more of the backstory on Lucretia Scott. And our favorite bastards, the Orchard, will be back. So Lucretia has a last name. Scott. Scott. Okay. I'm not sure I knew that. But it, ha- it has actually been a while, folks, since we recorded our last episode for a variety of reasons. So it's possible I've forgotten that. But her, fa- her father is Darius Scott. I knew her father's name was Darius, but I didn't know he had a name either. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, all right. Well, can I thank you for joining me? My pleasure. Listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.